Good morning, everybody. Get the pulpit put together. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I love the worship team so much. I enjoy playing more than you can even imagine. But playing for Jesus is it just fulfilling. Like I've said many times before, when I get back and get a chance to play, I play to the Lord. And it just opens up my heart, gives me so much. So I know you guys get a lot out of it, a lot out of worship and stuff. And uh, thanks for, to the worship team. They do such a good job. I just uh, thank you so much. <laughs> Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your many blessings today, Lord. I ask your uh, anointing this morning, Father. I ask you to open the ears and the eyes of each and every one that hears your message, Lord. Uh, your word is everything to us, Lord, and it flows through us, Lord God, and helps us to be the people that you intend us to be. Lord God, we give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. You know, Patty and I have been trying to get her mother moved for Oh, the past couple of months, and it's been quite a job. As you know how moving, moving is, moving someone else is, is even harder than moving yourself. But we've run into so many snags and so many things, but God's arm has been stretched out across everything. And as we pray and as we see what he does, I just love the Lord so much. Thank you so much, Jesus, for everything that you do. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a miracle to see what he does but when we was moving, I saw that Patty's dad had a lot of, uh, of woodworking tools. And uh, he could do many things with, uh, with wood. He wasn't a carpenter by trade, but he redid their basement. And I looked at the joints, and the joints all fit perfectly. Everything was done in such a manner that it's, it's unlike when I try to get two two before stuck together. It's kind of like, does that fit? Or does it, and there's a big old hole in the middle. I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter at all. And, and uh, it's, just, it's hard for me. So we tried doing a floor. We tried doing a floor in the back of my house, uh, putting that wood laminate floor down. You know, it's, it's kind of easy. But <laughs> for me, it was pretty hard. So we decided to go down and buy a, a miter saw so I could get the joints to fit. And sure enough, it worked. I got the joints to fit a couple days of doing that with the proper tools, and uh, it looked pretty good. It turned out pretty well. And you know, the proper tools is, is important to have if you're getting a job done. Ladies, you know how, it's, how it is in the kitchen. You know, you, got, you want to have a good dishwasher, first thing, a good dishwasher, not your husband. I'm the dishwasher in my house, but <laughs> yeah, you want a dishwasher, you want a, good, you want a good microwave, you know, and a good cook, pressure cooker, those kind of things, and a good cutting board, good knives, nice sharp knives to use, and uh, it, makes, it makes your job go a lot easier. Is it like when you're trying to make cookies, if you ain't got a cookie sheet, what do you do, you know? So uh, look at the specialty uh, tools that the doctors use, you know, like x-ray machines, uh, uh, the lights that they got in their operating place, you know. Nowadays they have robotics that they can even use to help get their job done. 
And I looked at the firefighters. What about firefighters, man? Look at all the fires around the world today and what's going on. You're not going to send them out with, the, here, go fight that fire. <laughs> you know, one little bottle of water. No, they take the tools they need. They take the good truck. They take uh, water hoses, shovels, picks, axes. They've got suits, you know, the fireproof suits and stuff. And they go out and they fight the fire. But today, I'm going to tell you about a couple guys that have been sent out to do God's work to take on an army without the proper tools. You have to have the proper tools to get the job done, but God, for God, his tools are different than ours. Think about this. In God's kingdom, he's not looking for the smartest or the wisest or the best. He's not looking for the, the proud man, but he's looking for the lowly. He's looking for the unfit, and he's looking for the unwise. Look at the 12 apostles. They were merely regular people. They weren't of noble blood. They weren't kings. They weren't priests. They were everyday people, just like you and I. And they were selected the unworthy, and the unqualified. You know, God went out and he got him a couple fishermen. You know, and then later he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You think that he'd get a different sort of people than that. God himself must save sinners, sanctify them, transform them, unqualified into instruments he can use. Like it says in James 5, 17, they were like Elijah, men with a nature like ours. They weren't different than us. They were transformed into vessels of honor completely by the work of the potter, Christ himself. We sometimes get discouraged, don't we, in our spiritual life because we suffer sin and failure. We think of ourselves as nobodies, and without Christ, that would definitely be true. But God is looking for the worthless nobodies that are willing to be shaped by him, willing to be molded, willing to do his work the way that he says to do it. Satan would like to, to think that our shortcomings would make us useless to God and his kingdom, but that's not true. Remember, Satan is a liar and the father of it. So don't let him get into your mind and think that you're not able to do the job that God has asked you to do. Sometimes, I know it gets hard, sometimes we spend a lot of time on our knees in prayer. Father, help me, Lord. Help me do what you have asked me to do because I'm just not qualified. But that's the kind of people that he's looking for. He's looking for the unqualified. In Acts, in Acts 17, verse 6, it says that the apostles turned the world upside down. It wasn't because they had great abilities or that they were powerful or had political influence or some social status. They turned the world upside down because God worked in them to do it. 
So today I want to talk a little bit about the tools, about God's tool chest. There are five things that the Lord has done in his toolbox. He's got, he's got the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, the despised things, the non-existent things. Now God uses all these things to shape and mold each and every one of us if we're willing. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, if you got your Bibles, says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so no one can boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's okay to boast if you're boasting in the Lord. Look at Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The methods of divine conduct, the methods of divine conduct, which vain men censor unwise and weak, have far more true, solid, and successful wisdom in them than all the human learning and wisdom that are among men. The doctrine of salvation by faith in Christ Jesus which appears to the carnal mind as foolishness, and the preaching of by unlearned, obscure persons, which appear weak, have had the power of God accompanying it, done more in a few years towards making men wise and holy than all the years of the Jewish scribes and the pagan philosophers. Corinthians 1.26 says, For you are calling... For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I look at the way God does things from a fleshly point of view, and it seems that he could find more educated people, that it would be a lot better. And for the carnal mind, that's what everybody thinks, that he could do better with better social standing, than the one that he employs to spread the gospel. He could choose a wise man. He could choose a mighty man. He could choose men without standing social status. Certainly the wise man you'd think would be better. But what are mighty men rather than the lowly man? Men naturally think that a reputation for wisdom and pomp and power would be able to deliver the gospel way better 
than some of the people God has chosen to carry the gospel. But you see, God sees it not as man sees it. He judges what instruments and measures serve the purpose of his glory. That doesn't mean he doesn't use the wise man or the mighty man or the noble man. There are those noble by divine grace that have not been ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that have been raised up to protect their servants of God by their power and aid them in their substance. None are excluded from mercy on account of their birth, talents, and persons of every rank standing need a pardoning grace of God, of Jesus Christ. Look at 127. Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Men of no learning to confound the most learned. Yes, because people just like you and I the commoners, the unlearned, the nobodies. Now, just because we are undeserving and unlearned when we are called doesn't mean that we're going to stay that way. Once we receive the born-again power and authority that Christ gives us, he fills our hearts with love. He guides and directs us. He puts us on a path. He enables us. He lifts us up. He brushes us off when we fall. He helps us. God uses those he calls to confound and prevail against all the power of the enemy. And he uses it, the power against the earthly kings and the presidents, the senators, the congressmen, the mayors, and so forth. He uses men and women that have the lowest esteem, that may be disgraceful in man's eyes, those that are looked at by the world poorly. He uses that, those that are poor, to enrich them with the treasures of his grace. Young and ignorant, he guides his, with his Holy Spirit each man and woman into the way of life, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In Corinthians 1.28 it says, And the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Yes, God has chosen the humble, the lowly, the meek, the weak, so that there's never any question about the source of power when someone's life has changed or they change somebody else's life. It's always God's doing and not man's. Look at Moses. Now he killed a man and he had to flee from Egypt. He had to get out of there or Pharaoh was going to kill him. So he took off and he met this girl he ends up getting married, and he was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest. 
And then here comes God right in the middle of, he's enjoying his life. He's, he's not wanting to do anymore. Things are comfortable for him. He wasn't looking for any extra duties. But God decided he wanted him to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians. In Exodus 3, 2 through 11, it says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, hmm, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here am I. Can you imagine this bush burning and, and all of a sudden you hear the voice of the Lord calling your name out? Like, here I am. And then he said, don't come any closer. You know, he's walking over to look at the bush. Don't come any closer. He says, take off your sandals. So he rips his sandals off and he's like standing there shaking the bushes burning. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he is afraid to look at God. That'd be a trip, wouldn't it? Get a chance to hear God's voice, to see him in a bush. And then he like stops you, don't come any closer, you know. All right. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. What? He says, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, he's still enjoying his life. He's like, I don't really want to go. And he said, but, but Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Bring out the Israelites. Who am I? And that's exactly what I'd do. I'd like, what? You want me to what? You want me to go to Pharaoh? Now, remember, he killed somebody. Pharaoh could have his head in just a second. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? So God reaches down into his toolbox and he leads Moses to deliver the Israelites. Moses said, hey, I can't talk very good. And God says, well, that don't matter. Your brother can talk. Aaron, he can talk for you. You know, when you try to give excuses to the Lord, we all do that, don't we? Well, I don't think so. I don't know. Couldn't you get somebody else? I really don't want to do this. It's a little bit hard. I'm a little uncomfortable about it. In fact, I'm a lot uncomfortable about it. Can't you find someone else? But God won't take no for an answer. So they went to Egypt. 
Now, remember, Moses is about 80 years old right now. I don't know how old each and every one of you are, but I'm 67 years old, and I wouldn't want to be going at 80 years old to lead a bunch of people, a million people, out of the land of Egypt. That's just a lot. And, and to go face a, a king that doesn't want these million people to live. He, they're doing fine in his country. He wants them to keep working for him. They're slaves. He wants his stuff done. Anyway, I know at 67 years old, I feel, I feel pains and aches that I never knew were even possible. As a kid, I remember watching my dad go hunting, and I'm like, come on, dad, let's get going. He's 70 years old, and we're trying to drag him over. Come on, let's go. Oh, man, I'm sorry, dad, <laughs> you know. Anyway, the Lord didn't send him with an army. He sent him with a staff. And he said, throw down your staff, and it's going to turn into a snake. What? You think about that. You think how silly that sounds, you know? But this is what God does. And he told Aaron, was instructed to stretch out his staff and to change the water to blood. And then God said, a plague of frogs. Really? A plague of frogs. Who would think of a plague of frogs except the Lord, huh? And they went throughout the whole country of Egypt, except for the Israelites. And then he stretched out his staff, and he struck the dust, and the dust become gnats. Now the magicians, they saw this, and they said, that really is the finger of God. That really is, we can't do this. We can't turn the dust into gnats. And then Pharaoh said he still wouldn't let him go, and his heart was hardened, and he would not listen to God. Then he sent flies. He sent so many flies, the place was plastered with flies. I've been overseas in Yemen, and there's a lot of flies in Yemen. It's just a little bit close to Egypt, but I'm telling you what, there's flies over there that you wouldn't even believe, but can you imagine flies just plastered everywhere, where you, where you stepped, where you walked, on you? I don't know if any of you like it, but I don't like when a fly lands on me. I'm like, ah, fly. Then he stretched out his staff, and he killed the livestock, but none of the livestock of the Israelites were affected. And he still didn't let them go. Then Moses took soot from a furnace, well, who would think of this one? In your weapons, I'll give you some soot. Take that, throw it up in the air. So he took some soot and he threw it into the air and the Egyptians got festering boils, even their livestock. And then God sent a plague of hail that had never been seen before or never will after that. I can imagine... You know, have you ever been out in a good hail storm? Remember when our church got hit with hail and knocked off the siding and everything? Cost thousands of dollars to get repaired. But imagine the hail coming down all over the country, such a big and mean hail. Then he said a plague of locusts throughout the land. You know, 
There's so many plagues and stuff going on. I got to take a drink of water. It's kind of hard to get through it all. Then he sent darkness, plague of darkness, so that for three days nobody could see. Complete darkness. Can you imagine complete darkness? In the caves out here, uh, out in uh, Pingree, out past there, they've got an ice cave. And we go down in that ice cave. And I remember the lady, she said, now we're going to shut the lights off, so you guys stay right where you're at. Don't be wandering off the path and falling down. <laughs> but anyway, she shut the lights off, and it was total darkness in there. And you could have your hand like this or try to see your hand and you couldn't see it. Could you imagine darkness throughout the whole land except the Israelites? The Israelites weren't affected. That's God. That's God's idea of doing things. Then he set a plague on the firstborn Egyptian and killed the firstborn male. And you see, God makes the wise man foolish and he takes the humble man and exalts him. God wants us to realize that he's in charge of things. And then if we just follow him, follow his commandments, he would bless us continually. There's another story I want to tell you. It's about Gideon. And the Israelites went along and did evil in the sight of the Lord again, and they're back. This is just the story of the Israelites. It's kind of the story of us. I look at us like the Israelites. Pretty soon we're doing something wrong. Pretty soon we're worshiping idols. We're looking at, we have idols in front of the Lord. We put things before God. Now he sent an angel to Gideon, and he sent a prophet to reprove them for their sin and to bring them to repentance. The Lord wants our loyalty. He wants our love, our worship. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. Sometimes we get other things in front of the Lord. Sometimes we put them before the Lord. In verse 10, Judges 6.10 through 16, it says here, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's little Gideon, he's like, what? The Lord is with me? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord's with you. And he said, pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see, it wasn't the Lord abandoning them. They abandoned the Lord. They're the ones that was worshiping other gods. 
Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God's telling him, I'm sending you. Go in the strength you have. And Gideon knows he has no strength to take on an army of this might. But he says, go in the strength that you have. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least of my family. And the Lord answered and said, I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Here in verse 12, the commission came from the angel of the Lord. Not a created angel, but it's actually the Son of God, eternal word, the Lord of angels, who appeared on some great occasions in human shape as a prelude to what he intended in the fullness of time when he would take our nature upon him. Then he calls him a mighty warrior, and instead of getting all puffed up, Gideon speaks for the Israelites and not just himself. He wants to stand up for the Israelites. He wants to help the Israelites. He doesn't get puffed up, well, God wants me, but he wants to help the Israelites in this. And that sort of reveals his humility. God didn't see himself as a man of valor. He definitely didn't want to go fight the whole country. And Gideon realized that he was going to have to go and to fight being just the man that he is. Gideon made an offering to the angel of the Lord. He put it on a rock and he touched the tip of it with his staff and it flared up and the rock consuming the meat and the bread. And Gideon realized now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That might give you a boost of confidence, huh? Now there's the Lord. You're really the Lord's angel? You're really him? I've seen him face to face. Now all the Midianites in, the Am in verse 33, it says, Now all the Midianites... Amalekites and all the eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. Now the Spirit of the Lord was given to him, and that didn't happen much in them days. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord was given at the day of Pentecost so that whoever comes to Christ can enjoy the Spirit of the Lord. But back then, the Lord, the Lord only gave His Spirit to certain individuals. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he summoned all those people. Without the Spirit of the Lord... You're nothing. They ended up rounding up 32,000 men to fight 
And God says, that's too many. And Gideon's like, well, I blew my trumpet. I got 32,000 men here. Nope. He says, that's too many. Have everybody go down here, and whoever is afraid, tell them to go home. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to fight. I'm headed home. So 22,000 of them left. There was 22,000 of them abandoned him. And now he's only got 10,000 men. And Gideon's like, what, God? You know, I only got 10,000 men left. And the Lord said, that's still too many. And he said, take them down to the water, and I will send them out there. And then he told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog who laps from those who kneel down to drink. And 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest of them got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the rest go home. Now he's only got 300 from 32,000 down to 300. Then hold it, you're going to like the rest of this. Now he says to take a trumpet and a jar with the light in the jar, and that's going to be your weapon. You're going to go down there in this camp, and you're going to confront all these people with a horn. Now, I know that these nice instruments, you can maybe hit somebody over the head with one of them, you know. And it's not a James Bond trumpet where he pushed the trumpet and out comes a sword or something like that. Uh-uh. No, he just took a regular old jar. Inside was a lantern, and he had his trumpet. And he says, I want you to deliver him. He'd blow it there at the camp. And he, he, Gideon said, well, I'm a little bit afraid. So the Lord told him, hey, go down outside the camp and, and listen. So he went down, him and his servant. They went down to the outside of the camp. And they overheard a couple guys talking about this dream. I know this would boost my confidence. The guy said, I had a loaf of barley bread come tumbling down into the Midianite camp, striking the tent so hard, and it overturned and collapsed it. And his friend said, this can be none other than the sword of Gideon. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. The Lord has put in fear into them. And he put confidence into Gideon's heart. So Gideon divided the 300 into three companies of 100. And he gave them the trumpet. He gave them the jar. And he says, now when I blow, you guys do the same. So they all blew their trumpets. And they broke that. And all these lights shined up around there. And the camp down below them, they were so afraid that they ran around with their swords and they killed one another. That's the way God does stuff. Thank you, Jesus. You know? Do you see God does things but different than us? The foolish, 
the weak, the lowly, the despised, the non-existent. God's the one that gets the glory, folks. He wants you to give him the glory in everything that he does for you. Just like that fear he put in the Midianites to make them turn on their own people, God has put in your mind and hearts love to follow Jesus, but not with fear. And you think, God will never forgive me for everything that I've done. I'm going to come in here and it's going to burn the place down. But that's not the way God is. God is ready to forgive you of your sins. God is ready to lead you on the path of righteousness. God is ready to build you into the man or woman that he wants you to be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So today, if you would like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, regardless of what you've done in the past or how you feel about yourself, I want you to know that Jesus will take you, he will cleanse you, he will take away your sin, and if you give him a chance, he will mold you into the person he wants you to be. Maybe you've been called by the Lord, but you don't think you can do what he's asked you to do. Give the Lord a chance. Come on down and pray with us as we watch the Holy Spirit lead you. God will bless you. So if anybody feels like coming to the altar this morning, I invite you to come. God does cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Father, today I just thank you for your word again, Lord God. What a pleasure it is, Lord, to share your word with others. What an honor to get to hear your word, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done building up to the coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ that he could Teach us, mold us, shape us, Lord God, that our lives would not be chaotic anymore, but they would be full of meaning and that this treasure of grace would come upon us and lead us, Lord God. We thank you so much today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome to come down to the altar. If anybody needs prayer, we'll be down here. Uh, you guys have a good week. Amen.